0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on SoloCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonté. The UFC is finally back. We have live fights coming again to you guys this upcoming weekend. UFC 249, Gagey versus Ferguson. And we, of course, will be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights as part of our... Favorite segment that finally gets to return fights, dogs, and parlays. We're also going to give you an underdog and a parlay, as the name suggests, to play this upcoming weekend. So make sure that you check that out and get your early gambling advice. And before that, we're actually going to do two interviews with fighters who are fighting over the next two week period. We're first going to be talking to Sarah Morris who fights Sajara Eubanks next Wednesday. And we'll be talking to Anthony Hernandez, who is fighting Kevin Holland the following Saturday. All part of those triple of Jacksonville cards that are right around the corner. But before we get to that, I got to remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Fight Call app. Go to GetFightCall.com to get updates on an app that is launching very soon that is all about daily fantasy sports just for MMA. And let me tell you something. There has been lots of different ways to play daily fantasy sports out there. But there has never been an app like the Fight Call app that allows you to just show off how much you know and win money as a result. Because, you know, you, you got DraftKings over there. You got, you know, FanDuel over there. They're, they're all working with salary caps and things like that. and You got to you finagle your way through. Not the Fight Call app. The Fight Call app just wants you to predict fights. Tell me who wins, tell me how they win, and tell me what round they win, and then win money. It's all going to be easy, in the palm of your hand. You can win real money. And in addition to that, not only can you win real money, but if you go there now, you punch in your email address so you can get updates about the FICO app, they are giving away a $25 gift card to the UFC store every single week until they launch. So you want to make sure to head on over there now, punch in your email address, get updates, and maybe win some cash in the process. Fight Call app brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumpy vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Sarah Morris, who fights Sajara Eubanks on whatever we're calling this UFC card on Wednesday, May 13th, down in Jacksonville. Now, Sarah, the the fight was booked for Brooklyn, then California on tribal lands. Now it's in Jacksonville. It's a different date. Describe how you've been dealing with this whirlwind of changes over the last, you know, month seemingly.
1: Um, I guess I've just been taking it one day at a time. <laughs> I don't really know how. It's it's been strange times for sure.
0: And is, how has it affected your training? Because I know you're training at extreme couture and i know that that, that's outside of canada for you so like how has that affected your either your mental state or your preparation for the actual fight itself
1: um so like at the beginning of the lockdown i mostly just trained at home with my boyfriend weeks or so working with my coach at the gym since we've both been isolated for or all of us have been isolated for so long um so it's just like the three of us will go in there and we'll work together and it's actually kind of nice having like private one on one time like every day, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's been pretty good, yeah,
0: and you're actually not the first fighter who said that Charles Rose has said a very recent thing about the exact same thing he he feels like he's getting more attention. Is there an area of your game that you felt like has made particular gains
1: as a result of that? yeah, I mean like i feel I feel like my striking has improved a lot. Um, that's really what I've been focusing on. I know my jiu has always been pretty good, I'm always trying to improve it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I feel like that my conditioning's improved. Um, surprisingly, with everyone having quarantine snacks, my weight's actually improved. <laughs> um, so it's it's actually good all around.
0: Good, good. Now, now, you said you've been working particularly on your striking, you've wanted your striking to, to improve. Is that a result of, of fighting somebody like Sajara Eubanks, who is so physically strong and, and sort of hard to get to the mat, and, and a little bit of a grappling technician in her
2: own right?
1: Um, I think it's just something that I've always needed to work on. I've, I mean, I have worked on it a lot, but it's something that it of confidence with it compared to my ground, so it, it's just something I've always wanted to work on, and I've just had like a lot of time to work on it this time.
0: Well, that's certainly awesome. Now,
1: I want to take it
0: back just a little bit, too, and talk about that last win that you're coming off of. You came over a big TKO win over Liana Jojua. You had three straight losses before that, and you said in your post-fight interview, and I was interested in this, you said that you got into a mood that you used to have when you were fighting. Could you describe a little bit about what that mood was and
1: how you can tap into it again? Um, I guess, like, when I do my best, I'm happy going into my fight. like i I enjoy fighting. I enjoy trying to hurt someone. So um, I guess like before I was so focused on the technique and like just overthinking about everything rather than just going in and having fun with it. So I really tried to have fun with the last fight, and I think I'm gonna have fun with this fight too. Well, I, I like that too, bringing
0: bringing the fun back to the fight. Do you have any rituals that you use to keep yourself more light, to keep it more fun, or, or is that just a mental state you need to go to?
1: Um, I guess it's just like a mental state I need to go to. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it's like I like to listen to like the Beatles and stuff. I listened to uh the Beatles before I fought Ashley Evans Smith, and it kind of like put me in a really good mood before that fight. Um. <laughs> when I listen to it in training, it also puts me in a good mood. But when, when you're going to group classes and pro classes, they don't really play music like that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's been fun. We've been playing like really random stuff when we go to the gym and train or tra- training at home. It's like more my style rather than that like macho fighter style. I like that. Is is there any
0: particular Beatles songs that that stick out to you or even just like an era of Beatles music that that sticks out to you as being the the extra hype for you? Um no, I think I like most of them. <laughs> okay, so 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 nothing in particular, just you just need some Beatles on and and luckily the quarantine has brought that for you. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So I've got one more question that I want to ask you that I've been asking all fighters. It's been a while since we've seen live fights. We've been away from live fights for about a week. A lot of fans are itching to see it again. But in the meantime, a lot of people are watching, you know, old fights on Fight Pass or wherever it is they have for streaming services. What's one fight of yours that you would suggest that people go back and watch to get the best sense of you or the most entertainment value out of your fights?
1: Oh... Um, I honestly have no idea. I guess it's been, I I feel like I improve every fight. I feel like I'm a different fighter and I feel like I am a different fighter going into this fight. Um, my most favorite fight I've never been able to find online. It was my first fight against Juliana Pena. Um, but one that you could find, I'm not, I'm not even sure. (laughs) Well, out of curiosity, what was the,
0: I mean, obviously a, a big win over uh, who is, you know, a huge name here in, in Juliana Pena now. Well, other than that, what is particularly the the moment of that fight that you like the most, being that we can't see it?
1: Um, I I guess it went exactly kind of how I thought it was going to go. Um, I, It was kind of pure domination. I got, I got a topside crucifix like I was looking for. I elbowed her face in a lot. Um... Her being as tough as she is, I dislocated her after stopping it between rounds.
0: Brutal. All right, so uh, last and final question here before I let you go. Um, obviously, you're stepping into the cage against Sajara Eubanks on Wednesday, May 13th. Uh, do you have a prediction for that fight? How do you see it going?
1: Um, I see me getting the win. I'm always looking for a finish, so I'm hoping for that. I say it every fight, but I'm always looking for a knockout. I haven't quite got a clean knockout yet, so.
0: All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That's Sarah Morris who fights Sajara Eubanks on Wednesday, May 13th in Jacksonville, Florida on whatever we're calling this card. Sarah, thanks so much for the time again. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you.
0: This is Daniel Gumby, Freeland, with Top Turtle MMA on flowcombat.com. and Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Anthony Hernandez, who fights Kevin Holland, at UFC in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm not sure what it's called on May 16th. So, Anthony, I, I want to talk a little bit about your career in the UFC so far because, you know, you started your, your whole pro career. You're undefeated. You get the Contender Series fight, violent knockout. Then, obviously, in your first fight, you get a loss. Take us through your mindset at following that loss.
3: I don't know. I feel like I got a little bit almost too complacent and uh, comfortable with the way I was what shit was going and so following that loss basically my mindset was uh just you know fix my holes and shit everyone has holes in their game it's uh when especially like when you start getting lazy and I was going on a streak so a winning streak so I thought maybe I don't know uh I work fucking hard (laughs) I work hard all the time so you know I just sometimes we get lazy with technique and uh like I should have had my elbow closer to my liver And uh, that was a mistake I made on my part. I was too relaxed when I should have been, like, attacking and pressuring. Um, I was trying to, like, uh, that second round, I was trying to, like, pick my shots, and I got caught, you know, that shit happens sometimes.
0: Well, and and just out of curiosity, you're saying you got complacent. You're saying there were some things, uh, obviously, that were holes, and you know how to fix them. What did you do to go fix those things? What did you do to make sure that that was not the case the second time
3: out? Um, you know, just uh, when I, every time I would train, I would have my coach fucking nitpick everything. Um, if I'm getting lazy, they'd fucking tell me and get on my ass to fucking quit doing that shit or uh, just shit like that, you know. Uh, I trust my coaches a lot, and that's their job is to see the when I'm fucking up and to tell me, hey, you're fucking up and pretty much fix the shit. So, uh, hats off to my coaches for that.
0: And the results were pretty clear, too, right? Like, you follow up losing in your very first UFC fight by Anaconda Choke by winning by Anaconda Choke, right? Like, so you sort of get the poetic justice revenge. What was the relief like after getting your first UFC win?
3: It was fucking, uh, I've been training for that for a long time. So, you know, uh, like, when I was 15, my goal was to be in the UFC. So, to finally get in the UFC and have a UFC win, it was fucking huge for me, um, now I'm aware of, like, the level we're at, the level I'm fighting in. Um, and, you know, it's no days off. Train your ass off and make sure you're doing the best you can. Elbows in, hands up. In China, I was getting a little cocky, dropping my hands and shit, fucking around. Um, and I got caught a few times for doing that. So, you know, just little reminders.
0: Absolutely. And and you said in there, too, that, you know, obviously the level of competition is high. You're fighting Kevin Holland, who is a, a hell of an opponent here. He's got a, a pretty good jujitsu record on
3: in background as well. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've been uh, watching. He's fucking slick on the I'm good mat. Um His striking's kind of like uh, it kind of reminds me of like the point sparring karate type shit, where he's like super long, and he'll fucking rush in to hit shots and uses like legs. He likes to throw a lot of sidekicks and shit. He's a good guy. Um, he's really good. He's talented. But I think uh, that I have a bigger gas tank than him, if that makes sense.
0: A- Absolutely, that makes sense. And I was going to ask you, too, where do you see the biggest advantage? Because obviously, you know, he's got a good submission game. Like you said, you've got five of your seven pro wins by submission. Do you see the biggest difference being the conditioning? Or do you think you have a jiu-jitsu advantage, too?
3: You know, I think, honestly, I think I beat him everywhere. Is For jiu-jitsu, it's, if we were going straight jits, that's one thing. But we're not. We're an MMA fight where you can hit and you can, like, uh, you know, The hitting changes everything. You fucking have a black belt, you hit him six times, and next thing you know, he's a white belt. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to survive now. So I think that my game plan is just to fucking put a hurting on him and, like, make him vulnerable, make him tired, you know?
0: And do you see that as the way of of this fight going? Do you see you taking him into deep waters and being able to finish him there?
3: No, I'm going to come and give him everything I have in the first round, but uh, I'm in such good shape I can carry that for, like, at least ten rounds. So... You know, I'm just going to go ham until he fucking quits.
0: Ah, oh, I love
3: that. Love that.
0: Now, I do have to ask, too, because a lot of different fighters have said a lot of different things about training right now. Because, you know, it's a weird situation. Some some fighters
3: aren't training oh, sure. very
0: much at all. Some have got their whole training partners and their whole training camp. Some have got half. What, what's sort of your training situation going into this fight?
3: Honestly, my fucking schedule has not changed one bit. Everything's just been private training, which is fucking awesome. I love it. You get a lot more focused on you. So... I should be fucking way cleaner as this fight, to be honest, I think. And uh, I've been getting in my work, like, with people and bodies still, so, I mean, it really hasn't changed for me at all. Well, that that's
0: certainly good to hear. Now, I got one last question before I let you go here. I've been asking every fighter, as we start to get closer to fights, people obviously craving the live fights here. I've been asking them... What fight of yours should they watch to get excited? So, if you can have people watch just one of your past fights, which fight would you pick?
3: Um fuck, I don't know. Probably the Contender Series cuz that's what started it all for me, you know. Absolutely. That
0: that's a great choice too. And if you, you haven't seen that, that's available on Fight Pass. It's a quick, I think it was a 40-second knockout.
3: Yes, sir.
0: 40-second knockout. So, make sure you check that out. And of course, make sure you check out Anthony Hernandez who fights Kevin Holland at UFC in Jacksonville, Florida, on May 16th. Anthony, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it.
3: No, yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it.
0: And those interviews with Sarah Morris and Anthony Hernandez are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app to help track your martial arts progress. You can put notes in there. You can tag different techniques that you want to work in. You can tag your friends that you drilled it with as well as putting it together, a whole profile that says your belt level. You can log competitions. There's so many great things that you can do to help put all of your martial arts experience in one spot. And we know that right now you guys are probably having a little bit less martial arts experience than you're used to The awesome thing about that, though, is that Maroon Social is adapted. They are giving you a place to log your exercise as well. So not only can you now log your martial arts progress when you get back to that, but you can also log your runs or your cycling or maybe you're doing calisthenics or weight training. All of that can be logged in the app so that you can put nice and neat in one place how you are staying fit until you get back into that gym. So make sure you check them out, Maroon Social, wherever you download your apps. Now, Dave... We've spoken with the fighters, we've talked about the concept of fighting during the time of COVID, we've given the fans things to watch while they're waiting, it's just time to talk about how jacked up we are for these fights. Shockwave Dave, how jacked up are
2: you for these fights? It feels like COVID Christmas, been waiting for this for a while, whatever you want to say about how responsible or irresponsible it is. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what's going on at local hospitals where the show is taking place. I'm just a fight fan, and I'll just say thank you, Uncle Dana, for giving us a little entertainment. Call me a shill. Call me a mark. It is what it is. You ask me if I'm excited. Answer. Answer.
3: I'm pretty fucking excited. Yeah, I I'm just
0: I mean as a person who's not just a big MMA fan, you know, in myself, but I'm also a big sports fan in general, you know, like I love baseball. I've been without baseball for 2 months. You know, I I love football, I love I love basketball and like all of that shit has just been away from me. So to have any sport coming back, never mind my absolute favorite sport coming back all at once. Man, dude, this this is awesome and hey, we're going to get 3 shows in 8 days. It doesn't get much better than that.
2: Well, actually, it does, Gumby, because we're about to do fights, dogs, and parlays for the upcoming show this Saturday. So excited. So let's get into it. It's our favorite segment on the show, give you a couple of fight breakdowns, a couple of dogs you might want to play, a couple of parlays you might want to play. You can thank us when it's all said and done if we won you some money, or you could rage tweet us at Top Turtle MMA if we really did you dirty. Gumby, before we get into fights, dogs, and parlays, one may wonder, does any company sponsor said segment?
0: Well, of course, fights, dogs, and parlays is brought to you by Battle Clean Gear. Visit battlecleangear.com. Make sure to use promo code Turtle Up Ten. That's T-U-R-T-L-E U-P one zero for ten percent off all of your grappling needs there. And and don't get me wrong, you're probably training a little bit less right now, but when you go back to the gym, don't you want to go back with some fresh duds? Well, you can do that at BattleClanGear.com. Tell them Gumby and Dave sent you, and head on over there now.
2: I have not heard the phrase duds in a while. I really (laughs) like that. Uh, And I really like the main event uh, this coming weekend. Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. This is a match made in heaven, uh, a dream match for some. I remember tweeting about this match about a year ago uh, and doing, like, their bodies superimposed over a nuclear fallout, like a nuclear <laughs> bomb fallout. Because that's what I imagine, the violence that's going to happen in this cage. I will be honest, though, I'm a little disappointed because it's not Tony Habib. But let's be glasses half full here. It's still an awesome main event. It's Tony Ferguson, minus 165 as the favorite, and Justin Gaethje, a plus 145. We've still yet to see Justin Gaethje utilize his wrestling in the UFC. Uh, They're both strikers of uh, very unique styles, really. You know, Ferguson's someone who utilizes elbows and and comes in with very crazy attacks. Gaethje, more of a classic kind of boxer-brawler, uh, has gotten into wars. He's not scared to open up uh, and even leave himself open to being hit. So that to me seems like a recipe for a lot of violence, a potential knockout, and I think of it as two helicopter propellers just crashing into each other. Who you got?
0: I think I'm actually going to go with Justin Gaethje, Uh, and and it almost devastates me to say so because I think it it does ruin the the Tony Habib fight that would have even maybe been more interesting from a stylistic standpoint, certainly not more exciting. This is the most exciting fight you could probably make at the present moment, but to me, I, I like Justin Gaethje here because Tony has shown recently that he's very hittable. Um, and I I don't mean to say that in a, like a mean way. He is quite durable, but he's also very hittable. Remember, Anthony Pettis hit him so hard, stunned him, wobbled his feet, and he wound up having to do front rolls until he could come back to, you know, and, and really settle himself down. He winds up winning that fight, of course, because like he I said before, he is super durable. Gachy's also super durable, but Gachy also hits a lot harder than somebody like Anthony Pettis. You know, when, when Gachy hits you, you go out. You know, you know, see James Vick, although James Vick's not really a great option there, but but see the other people he knocked out. Justin Gaethje has got more power than Anthony Pettis. I think he's only probably got to touch a, a reckless Tony Ferguson once to really put him down and put him in trouble. And, and when I'm drawing paths to victory here for, for Ferguson, there are plenty of them, right? He could take Tony, or Justin Gaethje into deep waters and win a decision. We saw him do that with RDA, so he's certainly got the ability to do that. We could, I could also see him tagging him with one of those elbows and when Gaethje's moving or, or stunned a little bit, then sinking in the submission. But I just see this as a fight where you're taking the best part of Tony Ferguson out of the game with Justin since wrestling. And for that reason, I'm actually going with Gaethje here.
2: Well, so I want to clarify one thing, and I, I like where your head's at. I, I tend to lean that way because I, I can't really see Ferguson getting a sub off his back. I don't... Gaethje, he tires but he doesn't die. So even in like that fourth and fifth round, it'll just be a slugfest. Maybe it goes to a tight judge's decision, but I almost feel like, uh, you know, Ferguson's sub game is going to be neutralized just by Gaethje's posture and stance and not being able to be controlled, let's say up against the cage and, or being taken down or even taking Ferguson down and going into deep waters where Ferguson is a shark off his back. So, view do you think that Gaethje would try to take Ferguson down do you think there's any way what would be the path where this goes to the ground
0: I, I don't think so I think the only way and I kind of mentioned it in my answer originally is that I kind of think the only way this goes to the ground is as Ferguson stuns him and, and Gaethje's got a you know he's wobbling and, and we get to see a snap down or something like that snap down to a DARS or snap down to an Anaconda like that's what I could see going to the ground or you know you'd have to see like a pure knockdown um, but I, I don't think Gaethje shoots a takedown. I mean, how many fights has Gaethje been in? And he's never shot a takedown, right? Like, so, zero. yeah, yes. Yeah, zero. so like he's We've it. yet to see it. We've yet to see it in the UFC. So if Gaethje isn't willing to go into his wrestling against guys who, let's face it, he'd probably be better off going into his wrestling against why would he do it against the guy who it would cause him the most possible harm to do it? You know what I mean? Like shooting a takedown on Tony Ferguson is way more dangerous than shooting a takedown on Dustin Poirier. It's way more dangerous than shooting a takedown on Michael Johnson. And he still didn't do it then. So if he's not going to utilize it then, I don't see him utilizing it now.
2: Uh, Such a fun fight. Uh, I cannot wait for that one. Very excited. We'll move on. Henry Cejudo is the 135 champ, and he's taking on the 135 GOAT in Dominic Cruz. Some people, myself included, thought this was Aljo's shot. I think the UFC, you know, not knowing who's injured and who's not and contract statuses, but certainly the UFC being the fight business, they gave Cejudo probably the biggest name in the division and one that even has more household appeal even now because of his commentary role on pay-per-views with Joe Rogan You know, no one doesn't know who Dominick Cruz is at this point if you've seen any UFC shows in the past year. So I think that also plays into it, but it could also be a detriment to Cruz because, let's face it, I don't think his in-ring career is his sole responsibility anymore, and you could definitely see him transitioning to near retirement after all the injuries and everything else. That all being said, Cejudo the champ is a very uh, strong minus-230 favorite. Cruz, a dog at plus-190. Again, the GOAT of the division, taking on the current champ, the man who slayed Mighty Mouse in a decision, albeit, who you got? I'm going to say this
0: first before making my official pick. If Dominic Cruz of 2016, which is the last time we saw him fight, by the way, late 2016, if the Dominic Cruz of 2016 is in the cage this weekend, I would pick Dominic Cruz. I I think the style of which Dominic Cruz even in 2016, which I will say wasn't even his prime in my opinion, his prime was like 2011 prime Dominic Cruz when he took down Mighty Mouse fucking 10 times in one fight. You're know, like, that's the Dominic Cruz I consider the prime. Even after that, the 2016 Dominic Cruz, I still take over Henry Cejudo. And the reason why is because look at his wrestling defense, it's great. And then look at his movement. He is so tricky to in his movements, and he's so elusive that I see Henry Cejudo wasting a lot of energy throwing strikes and missing a lot. And, and that frustration might lead to, to takedown attempts. And, and Cruz is not an easy person to take down. I could even see Cruz taking Cejudo down, to be completely honest with you, if we're talking 2016 Cruz. And there's where my analysis switches real quick. I don't think 2016 Cruz exists anymore the dude has taken so many layoffs you know like this is his second three-year layoff you have to be concerned about it you mentioned before it's not his only job anymore he does other stuff now he commentates he's got other shit going on and for that reason i'm going to pick henry suhudo here probably by a five round decision i can't imagine him getting cruz out of there but i can imagine him probably putting a you know like a less elusive cruz up against the cage and winning rounds that way with with pot shots and dirty boxing and knees against the leg. I could see him, you know, like, you know, chipping away with a couple of leg shots here and there or whatever he needs to do. But, like, the bottom line is I think probably Henry Cejudo now is faster. And I have no way to actually know that because the last time I saw Dominic Cruz was, you know, three-plus years ago.
2: Yeah, it's so crazy because – and I think the way you frame it is perfect, which is if it's the old Dominic Cruz, the one who – you know, steps in to the pocket and back out. He's a more masterful striker, in my opinion, than Henry Cejudo, albeit Henry Cejudo is still on the upswing. He's still evolving. So maybe we see the best version of Henry Cejudo this weekend. But if I'm just going off what I've seen to date, uh, Dominic Cruz is the better striker. However, it's like you said, what are we getting out of Cruz? I mean, this is a man, I'm looking at his record right now, and it's almost tough to do the math right off the top of my head, but... He fought three times in 2016, which seems like a near miracle at this point. One time in 2014, and then we last saw him as a regular fighter in October of 2011. So let's take 2011 out of the picture and just go from 2012 to now. In eight years, we've seen him four times. So he's averaging once every two years, and that sounds a lot nicer than what it really is, which is three-year layoff, one fight, two-year layoff, three fights, and then another three-year layoff. I have no idea what we're going to get out of Dominic Cruz this weekend. I think the oddsmakers are right on it, calling him a plus-190 dog. That seems like very fair money to me. Uh, but again, you are dealing with the 135 GOAT. So just another interesting matchup that we get this weekend.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that you're right about the, the lines makers there. At plus-190, you're basically guessing whether or not two-to-one odds that he's his old self or not after a three-year layoff.
2: We have a heavyweight battle, uh that should be pretty fun. Two knockout artists, two beasts of men, uh very intimidating presence in that octagon. Jair Rosenstruck at plus two thirty five is the dog, taking on Francis Naganu, minus two seventy five, the former title challenger. Uh putting together a little win streak here. Does it continue this week?
0: Uh, I, yeah, I'm going pretty easily with Francis Naganu here. And, and part of the reason why is if you look at Rosenstreich's record in the UFC, he's 4-0. And, you know, two of the fights lasted under 30 seconds, right? He locked, knocked out Andre Arlovski in 29. He knocked out Alan Crowder in nine seconds. That's nine, okay? Single digits, nine But his other two fights, if you look at them, first one was against Junior Albini, uh, the guy who you most hilariously look like he wore a diaper in a fight. Uh, Junior Albini beat him for a round. Uh, Beat him pretty handedly, if I remember correctly. And then eventually Rosenstreich lands the knockout. And if you go back to that knockout against Overeem, dude, he was down Four rounds to none, in my opinion, against Alistair Overeem. And, and Overeem wasn't able to get him out there. He left him in there, and he get, gets a knockout with four seconds left. So props to him for being durable and, and landing with Overeem. But the bottom line is, if you lose a round against Francis Naganu, you're done. It's over. Right, like if he lost around to junior Albini, you don't get that opportunity to do that against Francis when you lose against Francis, you lose it's over and and don't get me wrong, Rosenstrick has definitely got the ability to land the big knockout punch, but how many times have we seen? Uh, Francis Ngannou really get tagged. You know, everybody talks about Francis Ngannou's power. Francis Ngannou is actually a pretty good defensive boxer in his own right as well, right? Like, he doesn't really get smacked around on the feet. You know, you look at the two losses. One of them is getting super wrestled up. And the other one it was that boring, you know, whatever it was with Derek Lewis. I, I wouldn't even count that as a fight. So, like, he's not a guy who gets tagged. So, like, you're, you're putting a guy in there who has been tagged a little bit and has gotten beaten up. Against a guy who's got thunderous fists. So, you know, you got to go with Francis Nagano. And I think negative 275 might still have some value in it.
2: Uh, our dog of the week is Jorgen De Castro plus 160 over Greg Hardy. Uh, let's talk about it.
0: Yeah, so the reason I like Jorgen DeCastro here is, and I've been touting him as a prospect I'm really high on for a while. He's got a very Mark Hunt feel about him. You know, he's kind of a, a bigger dude. He's got a little bit around the midsection. He has got phenomenal kickboxing. He comes from a kickboxing background back when he was in Portugal. And he's fighting somebody in Greg Hardy who has great athleticism, but has shown, first of all, his asthma or cardio, you know, seems to taper off towards the end of fights. Whereas Jorgen DeCastro actually has phenomenal cardio. You also are taking a guy who's a very rudimentary striker and he's just learning the game and putting him in there against a the guy who has a kickboxing background. And sure you can say the athleticism of Hardy might be able to take him down, but DeCastro has also shown great takedown defense on the contender series. He stuffed a D one wrestler on two or three attempts right in a row before finishing him with leg kicks. So, I'm really high on Jorgen De Castro for him to be this big of an underdog. I, I think there's tons of value in that. And I might even pick him if it was a, a straight up even matchup, if it was a pickup.
2: Our parlay to play is Calvin Cater at minus 240 and Vicente Luke at minus 250. Play them together and you get even money one-to-one. Yeah.
0: And I think Calvin Cater is probably one of the most critically underrated fighters in the UFC right now because Like, look back at his record. The dude has looked phenomenal in the fights that he's had. He's knocked out uh, Shane Burgos, who at the time it didn't seem like a big win because, you know, Shane Burgos was unranked and a relative newcomer now. Now he's ranked number 10 in the UFC. Shane Burgos is a legit guy. He's also knocked out Ricardo Lamas, Chris Fishgold. He beat the hell out of Andre Feewey. His only loss has come to Hanado Moikano, who's now not in the division. He moved up to lightweight. And Zabit Magomed Sharapov, and to be honest with you, you give me two more rounds with Zabit, I think he beats him because he wins that third round handedly. Zabit looks like he's fading. So we're talking about a guy who, who might be like a top five or six talent, and he's fighting Jeremy Stevens here, who's a guy who is just going to box him up the whole time. And don't get me wrong, Jeremy Stevens is good, and he's got the right skill set to fight that. But I think, you know, pretty safely we can go with the younger, better version of Jeremy Stevens here in Calvin Cater. And then Vicente Luque, I think, is a slam dunk here. He's fighting Nico Price. Nico Price on the show earlier. I love Nico Price. But remember, Nico Price, in his interview with us, said, I asked him what has changed since the last time he fought Vicente Luque, where he got Darius choked three years ago. He says nothing has changed. He's the same fighter as he was then. He just plans on executing better That's not really what you want to hear when you're thinking, you know, three years of progression. So I like Vicente Luque here at negative 250. You can pair those together, get your even money back, and I think it's a very safe parlay. Boom.
2: That is our fights, dogs, and parlays. You can hit us up on Twitter and let us know how we did for you, accepting both love and hate feedback right now. Gumby, that about wraps it up for us, I'd say. Why don't you do a little house cleaning, tell the people what they need to hear, and get the heck out of here.
0: And that's gonna do it for another episode of Top Tier MMA podcast. We thank you, the fans, for tuning in once again. We could not do what we do without you guys. We couldn't also do what we do without Flow Combat, the mothership. Make sure to check out all of our content right over there. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Battle Clan Gear, and the Fight Call app. Make sure to head on over to get. Fightcall.com, And you might also want to check out our Twitter at top turtle MMA. We've got all kinds of cool contests and giveaways going on over there. So check us out. And in the meantime,
3: I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's shockwave Dave Tremonte. and we will see you next week.